0: Happy Sabbath to you all, and greetings to all our brothers and sisters and friends around the world. During the 2012 Olympics, we saw the tears of those who missed achieving a medal or who failed to achieve their peak level of performance. We also saw the elation and celebration of those who achieved their best and those who triumphed. If you turn to Ecclesiastes, the third chapter we see that life does have its ups and downs, its full range of emotions, its moments of joy, and its moments of sadness. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Later on, he says in verse 7, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So we all have our ups and downs, and one of the challenges we have as Christians, is to grow in godly character. Our emotions, our moods, and our feelings are part of that challenge. So how mature are you emotionally? Do your emotions control you, or do you control your emotions? Have you matured in your life to the point where you can express godly emotions? Or are you even now in your midlife, young life, or old life frequently expressing carnal emotions? The title of the sermon today is Character and Your Emotions. We looked at several sports examples. We've seen sports enthusiasts who have great zeal and enthusiasm, and we as spectators have enthusiasm for a particular team to win. And sometimes we get excited if they're winning or we get very disappointed in some cases mobs get actually angry if their team loses we've seen examples internationally of soccer matches or football matches where the team lost or the referee made a decision that angered the mob and the mob went out in the field and people were trampled to death because they could not control their emotions the last spring, I was up in uh, Toronto with Mr. Weston. We did some uh, television taping and also a special presentation. We were watching an ice hockey game, which, of course, is very popular in Canada and also in the United States. And uh, every once in a while, of course, the fight would break out. And those of you who followed ice hockey over the years, you know that the famous expression, I attended a fight and a hockey game broke out because that's the type of thing you expect. In Canada, of course, they're looking over the serious injuries that have taken place this past season and trying to uh, make sure that maybe we should put uh, greater penalties in for those injuries. The NBA, the National Basketball Association playoffs, can also lead to intense and heated conflicts. A referee makes a questionable call, and the player gets angry and abuses the referee, And in another case, uh, the one was fined $20,000 for not controlling his emotions. So it makes a difference. We see it in sports. Maybe we see it in our families. Maybe we see it in the world. Let's turn to Proverbs, the 16th chapter, Proverbs 16. Here is a key to developing our emotions or expressing mature emotions as Christians. Proverbs 16, and verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I've had problems with uh, anger, and uh, I have to be careful, you know, the old saying, count to ten. And... uh, I'm still learning to count to ten, I guess. But he that controls his spirit, rules his spirit, is greater than he who takes a city. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Are you able to live by that principle? I enjoy sports and uh, watching tennis. I used to play tennis quite a bit. And uh, years ago, one of the famous bad boys of tennis was John McEnroe. In the New York Times Magazine, August twenty fourth, 2008, uh, John McEnroe talks about his anger and his antics and his attitudes on a tennis court. The author writes, he confessed of his youthful temper, quote, I could have controlled it better. My parents also thought so. On some level, I didn't control it, because I didn't want to. Listen to that statement. I, on some level, I don't, con- I didn't control it because I didn't want to. It's a key to our mature emotions, to controlling our emotions. John McEnroe continues. But I took economics at Stanford, and it's the law of diminishing returns. I did feel out of control, and I didn't like it. Maybe what I like so much about what I do now is that I'm in control. John McEnroe has matured over the years, and he's an excellent commentator. If you've watched any of the uh, tennis matches, the U.S. uh, Open is coming here in uh, another week or so. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from John McEnroe. But he was not under control with his emotions because he didn't want to be in control. It's a statement of our character. It's a key of who we are, what we are, what our calling is. Will we have the character to grow and to control our emotions and develop godly emotions? The key is growing of growing in emotional maturity requires strong character and godly emotions. Let's turn to Galatians 5, verse 21. Here we describe the fruits of the Spirit, which also some we would call emotions as well. And he describes, that is the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, verse 19, some of those bad boy emotions like John McEnroe displayed. Now the works of the flesh are evident, Galatians 5, verse 19 which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, Uh, some of the uh, soap opera television programs are just keyed on jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, you have the godly fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And in the hymn sings that we have before and after services, we express joy. We thank God for the calling He has given us. and We worship Him with hymns and with music. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness... Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such, there is no law. Are you in control of your emotions? Mr. Rod McNair gave a sermon at the feast in Sunset Beach, October 13, 2008, entitled Emotional Leadership. He stated, If we want to rule over cities, if we want to rule in the kingdom, let's start small. Are we ruling over our emotions? He went on to say, lack of control in our society has become so common, we now have a name for it. There is a new condition called intermittent explosive disorder. According to one study, road rage, temper outbursts that involve throwing or breaking objects... Have you ever thrown objects or broken objects? And spousal abuse and sometimes can sometimes be attributed to this disorder. And 16 million people in our country may have this disorder. He quoted from the author of the book, Emotional Discipline, The Power to Choose How You Feel, by Charles C. Mance. And maybe this you could identify with Charles Mantz, depending on where you are in your emotional development. Charles Mance writes in, from his book on emotional discipline, quote, Let me begin with a confession. I am emotionally challenged. That's a more common expression now when we say we are weak in a certain area of skill, we are challenged. He says, I am emotionally challenged. I do care what people think, and I would very much like it if you approved of this book. I can be sensitive and defensive at times, and I struggle with criticism. I get nervous before I make a public presentation, which is a regular part of my work. And sometimes I feel afraid when I face new challenges. I enjoy approval. I need to feel accepted and loved, and I can feel angry when I believe that I've been treated unfairly. I've experienced jealousy, anxiety, irritability, longing, desire, pride, boredom, shame, laziness, worry, embarrassment, and feeling overwhelmed. I think some of us can identify with feeling overwhelmed at times. I've also felt enthusiastic, calm, hopeful, vibrant, inspired, courageous, happy, and even a sense of love. Well, you get the idea. I am indeed emotionally challenged, but then aren't we all? After all, emotions are what add feeling to our lives and elevate them beyond the sterile and mundane. So, so are you emotionally challenged? And have you grown emotionally? Maybe you have not been true to your feelings, or maybe you should be true to your feelings. was a story of uh, an SEP, that is a summer educational program, uh, back in uh, Big Sandy years ago. It was a counselor at one of our camps, and uh, most of the boys' and girls' dorms were earning their share of group awards, but one camper dorm didn't seem to be faring too well. When all of the awards were announced, very few were given to this particular dorm. Now, it was a major challenge for any ambassador student who was a typically a counselor at the Summer Educational Program, SEP, to mother or father, a group of teens that may well include children whose parents were divorced or in the process of divorcing or had other emotional or physical problems. However, in this one case, the counselor was determined not to force the campers to be enthusiastic, You know, at the camp, they normally have cheers so you can be enthusiastic for your dormitory. Her attitude was, why should they have to sing songs? Or why should they have to yell out cheers if they don't feel like it? Why, that would be hypocritical. Now, do you see the fallacy in that argument? Maybe you don't. I hope that none of you subscribe to that philosophy. I'm not going to cheer because I don't feel like it. Is it right or wrong to make yourself enthusiastic if you don't feel like it? Is it insincere to be expressive when you're that not that kind of person? Are you not being yourself if you engage in new behaviors and expressions that you're not used to? Well, there are some of these axioms and cliches that dictate our behaviors and attitudes. Be true to your feelings. Is that a godly principle? What feelings? Some uh, in the psychiatry world will say, "Now you need to really express your feelings to others. You really do. I really hate your guts." Now, should you really give in to your feelings? Should you be true to your feelings? Not if they are ungodly. If they are ungodly feelings, you identify them as being ungodly, and you repent of those feelings. And yet, we've had families in God's church over the years who... Some who've gotten divorced because they've had these feelings welling up over a period of time and have never dealt with those feelings. They never identified with those feelings and say, I have a hateful or I have a grudge towards my wife or I have a grudge towards my, my husband. And then 40 years later, they divorce because they never handled those ungodly feelings. I'd like to punch you in the nose. No, let's be true to my feelings. No, you identify that feeling as wrong. You identify that feeling as sinful, and you repent of that attitude. Human nature does not want to cooperate with God's way of life. So, is being true to your feelings a godly uh, principle? Not if it gives feelings that are criminal, sinful or hateful. So what should you do about your feelings and emotions? First of all, you need to analyze them. You need to monitor your feelings and understand, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling? Sometimes it's very difficult to identify the source of my disappointment or my jealousy or my anger. Years ago, in evaluating possible counselors for a summer educational program at Ambassador College, we had a survey form and the probably the teacher or someone who knew the student uh, the recommendation would be to fill out this form. This is a form that uh, gives an evaluation of the uh, counselor and here were some of the uh, subjects that were asked. It was a six box uh, check box um, on the right side be positive on the left side uh, uh, negative and in the middle uh, neutral so here look at these some of these if you were an ambassador student and someone were evaluating you to be a counselor at the summer program rigid in outlook on the left side flexible in outlook on the right side the negative and the positive which would you be excitable calm, lacks initiative on the one hand or a self-starter on the other, impatient or patient, lacks empathy or is compassionate, breaks under pressure, poised under pressure, lacks physical endurance, has physical endurance, weak foundation in the church, strong foundation in the church, shows stubbornness when corrected, ability to take correction, Begins disputes, resolves conflicts. Moody on the one hand, or cheerful on the other. might just turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter, while we're discussing those contrasts and moods and feelings and attitudes and abilities and skills. Galatians, uh, Philippians. Philippians, and we've quoted this many times before. But apparently it was one of uh, Mrs. Herbert Armstrong's, Loma Armstrong's favorite uh, scriptures in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always, the Apostle Paul writes. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, why should you do that? I don't feel like rejoicing, you might say. You have to make a decision whether you will rejoice or not rejoice. And here the Apostle Paul was in prison with chains on his legs, and he's telling you to rejoice even though he's in prison. Can you do that? Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. And I tell myself when I'm anxious, well, God tells me not to be anxious. So I better deal with it the way he tells me to deal with it. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I'll just share a couple of the other evaluative uh, criteria here. Uh, ignored or avoided by others, well-accepted and respected by others, needs prodding to participate, active participator, Uh, needs needs modern conveniences, on the other hand, can rough it. Um, Loner, on the one hand, able to function harmoniously within groups, on the one hand, does not make decisions, on the other hand, makes sound decisions. On the one hand, needs constant reassurance, and on the other hand, emotionally mature. So if this form were filled out for you, what would it look like? Are you growing in godly character? And understand, as we've seen, that the expression, be true to your feelings, needs qualification to it. No, you're not true to criminal or sinful uh, feelings. You need to deal with them. Repent of them and ask God to help you to change. He gives us some warnings about negative feelings. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12, we already saw some of the negative attributes and the fruits of the flesh. But here, the fruits of the Spirit and uh, a warning that I believe Dr. Meredith read this in a recent sermon. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. God said, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So we have to be careful about bitterness. We've had sermons on that before, but I I know one of the most graphic images of bitterness, and I've met people who are bitter, and uh, there's nothing like it. It's just almost uh, like the one woman who was so bitter. I had to tell her that unless she repented of her bitterness, she was headed for a lake of fire because she was sealing her attitude, her character, and her conscience to such a bitter and spiteful attitude, it was just totally ungodly. I had to warn her of that. But years ago in uh, Big Sandy, uh, one of our church members had a horseradish uh, root. And I love horseradish, of course, and uh, I like it in strong, you know, not just the creamy. I like the good, the good strong horseradish. It clears up your sinuses. But anyway, this one man had a horseradish uh, plant, and he wanted to get it, uh, get rid of it. And so he dug it out. And uh, another week later, he found out it was growing again. So he dug the hole a little deeper. And another week later, it started growing again. And another d- week later, he had to dig down and down. That root of bitterness, that root of horseradish, just kept growing down deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was so difficult to get that horseradish plant out of his garden. And it's like bitterness. It's very difficult to get rid of. You have to recognize it immediately and act on it. How do you act on it? You pray for your enemies, just as Jesus said. You do good to those who despitefully use you. love your enemies. Unless you deal with it quickly, it's going to bite you. And you're headed to a lake of fire. If that bitterness just engulfs your whole character and you become a bitter person. And it's just a horrible thing to see, a sad thing to see in human beings. So we need to be careful about that. We need to analyze our feelings, act on our feelings. And of course, in some cases, we ignore our feelings. Along the lines of bitterness, I'll just mention this one scripture, Colossians 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Colossians 3:19. The Apostle Paul must have had a reason for saying that. And I could see it in conflicts in my life over the, over the years, but thankfully um, I don't have that challenge with my wife. We've been married uh, just 48 years now. And uh, as I mentioned before, that we both are strong-willed, and so we've had to make adjustments. And we've made wonderful adjustments. We love one another. But we have to be on guard about those wrong feelings. And some, of course, will not acknowledge their feelings. And that's why wrong feelings build up over a period of years and then finally blow up in a divorce or some other kind of problem. One of the other strategies, of course, of dealing with those conflicts is Matthew 18:15. You know, if your brother sins against him, go to him yourself and tell him his problem. I won't go through the whole section. You know that. We've discussed it before. And if he doesn't repent, then take someone with, it, with you, uh, the second person. And if he doesn't hear them, take it to the church, take it to the ministry. So, we do need to deal with our feelings and make sure that we solve those ungodly feelings. We also need to communicate in a godly way. I'm going to turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians 4. Of course, we've had whole sermons on godly communication. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4.15, breaking in the middle of a thought, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Our emotions in our communications can cause conflicts and problems. Last uh, December 2011, we had a marriage relations seminar for the winter weekend, and uh, we had uh, three different presentations. We had one on effective marital uh, communications. And those, uh, by the way, those uh, CDs and DVDs are available in our local uh, church library. But just as I brought out in that one particular seminar on effective marital communication, just to give a simple illustration of what happens in families and businesses and the communications, someone asked you, what time is it? And you say, what are you asking me for? What do you have there is what is called a cross-transaction. In transactional analysis, you have what is called the adult, the I'm sorry, the parent, adult, and child. And uh, even uh, Patton and Giffen in their interpersonal communication uh, excellent book, which I had as a textbook for interpersonal communication class years ago, describes the transactional analysis, and and it's a very simple but very helpful analysis when you're talking with other people. And someone says, what time is it? And instead of saying, well, it's 12.15, they'll say, well, it's, uh, you know, what are you asking me for? Don't bother me. You have an adult basic question with a child answer, which is an emotional answer, a wrong emotional answer. Just let me read this section from page 353 of uh, Interpersonal Communication by Patton and Giffen. Transactional analysis is based on ego psychology. That is, it gives primary emphasis to an individual's psychological needs, sometimes called ego needs. The basic postulate is that each person has inside himself, herself, three ego states, the parent, the adult, and the child. They, of course, uh, these particular authors say that's very very unfortunate label. They shouldn't have labeled it that way because it implies uh, uh, evaluative connotations. But let me continue. The parent, the adult, and the child. The parent state reflects what you've been taught about life, our attitude towards things in terms of the way they ought to be. The adult state, unemotionally and objectively, looks at the facts, gathers information and makes decisions the child state shows feelings of joy sadness fear anger and love unfortunately it should have been in- instructional informational and emotional they're not wrong but they should be in a what they call a uh, parallel um, transaction, not a cross-transaction, a harmonious transaction. So if the father says to the son, uh, son, I uh, want you to uh, go ahead and uh, uh, walk the uh, dog around the yard. Yes, daddy. Well, so that's a, a harmonious transaction, parent to child, instructional to a response to their instruction. And so what time is it? You give the information, information asked, information answered. And I found this to be very, very helpful when I see in my own life problems. When someone it's an emotional situation and someone asks a question, can I answer that question in an informational, knowledgeable, fact-oriented, wisdom way? And so be alert in your own family when you're asking questions, what did Jesus say? Let's turn there, uh, if I can find it. well, it's so Matthew in Matthew 5, Matthew the 5th chapter. So we have to analyze our own emotions even within our family relationships and communications. It says we are to, of course, submit to those, uh, submit to one another in the fear of God. It tells us in Ephesians 5.21. But here in Matthew 5, verse 36, he says, Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 37, Matthew 5, But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. <laughs> and I've caught my wife saying, asking me a question, and uh, saying, well, uh, honey, did... Uh, you eat uh, the dessert that was in the uh, refrigerator? Yes, but you shouldn't have put it there. You know, so instead of saying, let your yes be yes and your no, no, you go ahead and add a justification instead of answering the question uh, informationally and knowledgeably, yes or no. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, Jesus said. And it's rather sobering when he says, For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. End of verse 37. So we have to, again, monitor our emotions even within our family communications. We need to ask God to help us to identify our feelings and our emotions and see, well, am I offended? What... uh, Why am I offended? And why do I feel the way I do? Let's turn back to uh, the book of Job. The book of Job. One of the most important verses in the Bible when it comes to Passover preparation. Job 34. Remember that uh, Job's friends, you know, if I get time, I'll... Turn to that other example. Uh, Job's friends were not able to help Job see his problem, but uh, Elihu, the young man, was. God corrected the three men, but he did not correct Elihu, so Elihu's comments were from God. They were on target, and we need to pay attention to Elihu's comments to Job. Verse 31 of Job 34, "'For has anyone said to God, "'I have borne chastening, I will offend no more.'" Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Has anyone said that? Job, have you said that in all of your trials and tests? And you're being self-righteous, and you're, in a sense, blaming God. Not with your words, but you're, by your intonation, you're blaming God. And what you should have said, Job, was this. I don't see what my problem is. What I don't see, please help me. Teach me what I do not see. And if I've done iniquity, I I don't know that I've done iniquity, but if I have, I won't do it anymore. That should have been Job's attitude, and that should be our attitudes when we are experiencing certain kinds of emotional conflicts, and we don't know why we're experiencing what we're experiencing we have to again think, what can we do? What can we change in our lives? Now on the other hand, there are those that have been victims of abuse in their fragmented, disoriented families, dysfunctional families, and uh, some of us I won't say myself, but some of us here have come from dysfunctional families. We've been victims of abuse as children and uh, it's very difficult for someone in a lifetime to overcome that. But can you become emotionally stable, mature, even if you've come from a dysfunctional home in the past? Well, yes, you can. Let's turn to Luke the fourth chapter, Luke four. Luke four. Jesus came to Nazareth, and he was given the book of Isaiah, verse 17, Luke 4. And when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So God will heal emotionally. Let's turn back to uh, Psalm 147. Jesus said that he was sent to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the broken hearted. Turn back to uh, Psalm 147. Years ago, uh, Mr. John O'Gwyn wrote an article. Are you hurting? It was in the Global Church News, uh, November October 1995. Uh, Mr. O'Gwyn had written an answer to a woman who was writing to the church in tears because she'd experienced the trauma of the apostasy of our former association. And in his Global Church News article, Are You Hurting?, Mr. Ogwin wrote the following, quote, The spiritual and emotional healing that is needed from this trauma is a process. It is important that we proceed from recognizing the source of pain and injury to understanding what is needed to promote the recovery of our spiritual health and energy. As we seek Him, God will restore to us the joy of his salvation, Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your steadfast spirit, David prayed in Psalm 51. And the fruit of his spirit will be born in greater abundance in our lives, Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. Mr. O'Gwin then discussed the different negative attitudes that can result from major traumas. Some of those negative attitudes are fear and lack of trust, or a critical and independent spirit. Mr. O'Guin concludes in his article, Are You Hurting? Quote, "...our spiritual and emotional healing involves casting away our defective strategies of self-protection and learning to reach out to God, our Father, in love and trust. It involves forgiving and letting go of any spirit of vengeance." God will repay in His own way and in His own time. Another attitude that will most most promote this healing is a spirit of thankfulness for God's calling and for the opportunity He is giving us to be a part of His revived work. These are attitudes that will lead to healing and growth and the peace that passes understanding both now and forever. Philippians 4.7, which we read earlier, and that's from page... 14 of his article, Are You Hurting? So, how else can we mature emotionally? Well, Mr. O'Gwynn mentioned forgiving, and some of us have that conflict. Let's turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, Matthew 6. You know the part of the model prayer, the outline prayer. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's rather frightening. But on the other hand, if we are forgiving, God will forgive us. I've quoted this before, but I think it's uh, helpful to new people who may have heard this quote. Uh, Dr. Paul Meyer, who has uh, various uh, clinics around the nation, wrote in his book, Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You, on page 170, quote, A patient can be depressed for many years then forgive the one who caused his repressed anger and totally recover from the depression because his serotonin has been restored naturally and the brain is able to work correctly. Now, did you get that? Forgive the one who has caused his repressed anger and totally recovers from the depression. And he can be depressed for many years, but that forgiveness will let that individual have more serotonin, and he's restored naturally, and his brain is able to work correctly. On the other hand, Dr. Meyer writes on page 152 that deep-seated anger can lower your serotonin level and cause clinical depression. So forgiving others can produce peace of mind. Let's turn to Ephesians, uh, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. There's another book I have here, I have found in my library. It's called uh, Healing Emotional Wounds by uh, David G. Benner. And uh, under the heading of uh, Damaged Emotions, he says on page 64 quote, the final task, that of releasing the anger, is primarily a volitional one. Here we are called upon to exercise our will. Remember the title of the sermon, Character and Your Emotions. Exercise your will, he says, in doing something that is difficult as anything a human being can be asked to do. Until we recognize how, how important forgiveness really is, we fail to understand all that is involved with it. Genuine healing of damaged emotions involves therefore not just the emotions, but also the intellect, and the will. That's page 64. So how strong is your character? How strong is your will? Here in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, Be kind, well, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness can produce peace of mind. Benner continues uh, in his book under the heading, Emotional Healing is Possible. Quote, We need not be victims of our past. Although we often fail to recognize it as such, This is an essential part of the gospel. Unfortunately, we too often spiritualize the gospel, seeing Christ's work of salvation merely in terms of forgiveness of our sins. But salvation is much more than this. Christ came to heal us of our wounds and to set us free from all that binds us. Of course, repentance is required in that. Hurts may be inevitable, inevitable, but emotional healing is possible. Christ called, calls us to wholeness, and makes this possible by His brokenness. End of quote. Let's turn to First Peter, the second chapter, First Peter two, talking about our healing. First Peter two, and then Second Peter. First Peter two, verse twenty three. who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. In Isaiah it's by whose stripes you are healed. So those of us who've come from dysfunctional families and backgrounds that uh, have victimized us, we can overcome the past. We can grow. We can be made whole. We can have emotional healing. But we need to also have an attitude of forgiveness in the process. Godly emotions must be learned. Mr. Herbert Armstrong, in an article from The Good News of Tomorrow's World... We had a magazine that was Tomorrow's World. In fact, I gave uh, Tomorrow's World lectures in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, 1973. But that was the Worldwide Church of God, Tomorrow's World magazine. Personal from the editor, Herbert W. Armstrong, entitled Emotional Maturity, March 1971. Mr. Armstrong writes, No newborn human knows that much. Yet the human infant has something the dumb animals do not possess, human mind. Humans, however, have to grow up. They have to learn, to be taught. And one of the basic things every human needs so vitally to learn is the use of the human emotions. So you see, the human mind has something vital to do with human emotions. Yet most people never give thought to controlling emotions with the mind but our emotions need to be understood taught trained and controlled by the mind I'm going to turn to second uh, timothy <clears throat> first chapter second timothy so it's a matter of character and our emotions we read in ecclesiastes there's a time to mourn and there's a time to laugh we can have the full range of those emotions but they need to be appropriate to the circumstance and the situation, second Timothy one and verse six. therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands, for God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind, so God can help us to overcome and Other translations uh, translate the word sound mind, discipline, and the Greek word uh, can have that meaning of discipline. We have a a sermon in our church library called The Gift of uh, Discipline. That's number 349, uh, The Gift of Discipline. In successful parenting, Dr. Jeff Fall writes the following. Quote, when children are given solid guidelines over which they cannot cross, like the Golden Gate Bridge rail, those guidelines become internal restraints that we call self-control. In children, self-control becomes the restraint or the guardrail, exercised upon impulses, emotions, fears, and desires. When children cross over the guardrail and receive discipline, They learn that their actions have consequences. Well-disciplined children are a delight to their parents because they are not constantly trying to cross over the guardrail. Like the way uh, Dr. Fall wrote that. So we need to, again, think in terms of the gift of discipline. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or of discipline. So we need to take action. There are many cases, of course... In the Bible, we'll take a look at one in which the individual did not use his mind, his character, his self-discipline to control. Turn back to Genesis, the fourth chapter, Genesis 4. Genesis, the fourth chapter, and verse 7. Remember, Cain was... uh, Jealous at Abel's offering that it was accepted, and Abel's, uh, Cain's offering was not accepted. Uh, Verse 6, so the Eternal said to Cain, Genesis 4, verse 6, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Remember the first uh, proverb we read earlier, uh, Proverbs 16:32, that he that controls his spirit is better than he that takes a city. And so God said to Cain, sin has a desire for you, but you should rule over it. And that's what we all go through. We have to resist temptations through life. And that's a part of the character process. Let's turn back to uh, Proverbs uh, 16th chapter again. We'll take a look at a couple other verses along that line. Proverbs, re, 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 we will reread. Tongue twister. We will reread Proverbs 16:32, and look at a couple others near there. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules a spirit than he who takes a city. Let's turn back to uh, Proverbs 1417. Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Are you lacking confidence? And his children will have a place of refuge. and All the benefits and blessings of godly fear. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14 and verse 30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. But we have to take action and develop right emotions and counter those temptations and wrong emotions. Character, as you know, you may not know, but uh, the four steps that I've shared with you before, uh, first step of godly character is the willingness and ability to find out what is right. The first step. That's what the Bible is for. God shows us what is right from Genesis to Revelation. Yet the world doesn't care what it's right, and it's right. Uh, Some may have the willingness to to know what's right, but they don't have the source or uh, the ability. They don't, uh, God hasn't called them, or they haven't repented. For the first step, then, is the ability and willingness to know what is right, and that's why we seek God's truth in the Bible. The second one is to repent of what is wrong. When we find out what is right, then we repent of what is wrong and further commit our lives to do what is right for the rest of our lives. We make that commitment, and that's, of course, the commitment we make at baptism. Thirdly, in the character development process, we resist temptations because temptations are going to come along throughout life. You have to resist those temptations. And fourthly, you do right until it becomes habit, until it becomes a part of your life. There are some parts of your life that you know you have strong character. I presume that you've analyzed yourself to know that you have some good characteristics, some strong characteristics, and you probably have recognized, I hope you have, that there are certain areas of your life that you need yet to overcome, that you have certain weaknesses. I know some of my weaknesses, maybe I don't know some of my weaknesses, and God will show them to me even further on. But I know some weaknesses, and I know that it's a challenge for me to overcome them. But we have to practice what is right until it becomes character. I don't have to, uh, you know, it it isn't a question in my mind. Do I have to think twice when I get up in the morning if I'm going to uh, get on my knees and pray? It's a part of my character. It isn't a challenge. It isn't a, uh, you know, a, a, a big uh, a problem for me. It's a part of my life, a part of who I am, a part of my character. And you know what is a part of your true character as well, and what is, what is not. And some of you realize I've got I've got a long way to go, and uh, I've got a long way to go too. And uh, God will keep me alive. Uh, God willing, until I learn whatever lessons I need to learn in life. So, when we grow in spiritual maturity and character, we should be predictable. God knows tomorrow morning I'm going to be on my knees praying. He knows that. Not a question. But there was a song back in the, uh, I presume it was the 50s, called... uh, are You Unpredictable? And there was a song that went this way. Call me irresponsible. Call me unreliable. Throw in unpredictable too. Call me unpredictable. Tell me I'm impractical. Rainbows I'm inclined to pursue. You know, girls like kooky guys. They oh, I don't know what he's going to do next. He's fun. He's, he's a very unpredictable, you know, kind well, no, that's not what God wants in our lives. He wants us predictable character, that he knows what you're going to do. After he tested Abraham, he knew what Abraham would do. And does God know what you will do tomorrow morning as a part of your godly character and expression of mature emotions? I hope so. But we need to be predictable, not Unpredictable, as the song went back in the in the 50s. True character requires responsibility, not just impulses, but uh, uh, serious dedication. Some of you are familiar with uh, General Douglas MacArthur's farewell speech on May 12, 1962. He he ended with the famous quote: "Duty, honor, country." These hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, and what you will be. He was talking to cadets. Well, godly discipline and duty contribute to mature emotions. Well, let's take a look at some of those emotions again. Let's turn back to Philippians, the fourth chapter. We already saw that joy was one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We saw that Paul, even in prison... With chains on his legs, tells everyone to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. And throughout this book of Philippians, he uses the word rejoice several times, and joy. So let's take a look at it. He says uh, in verse 17 of chapter 2, Philippians 2 and verse 17. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Even though he was in prison, his life was sacrificed for them. He says, I glad, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 28, Therefore I sent him, that is Epaphroditus, The more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So can you be a joyful person? We had quite a few sermons on that. Sermon 496, Reasons to Rejoice, 503, Rejoice After the Feast, and Sermon number 672 by Dr. Meredith, Rejoice in God's Sabbath. Let's turn to Ephesians, uh, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. One other way of uh, working with positive emotions is good humor. I won't give a long exhortation on that, but you know that God gave us the ability to laugh. We read in Ephesians 3 and verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And uh, sometimes when my wife and I have, I don't say we have conflicts, but maybe there's a little tension, and we find something jointly humorous, and uh, we'll just start laughing and laughing together, and it just breaks down the tension and draws us closer to one another. Well, there is a time to mourn. Let's uh, turn back to uh, Jeremiah, the ninth chapter. There is a time to mourn, and that's part of emotional maturity as well. When was the last time you shed a tear? We know that children— Babies uh, have different uh, individual differences. Some are very rowdy. Some are very calm. Uh, we all grow up with different emotional uh, mindsets and uh, characteristics. But we all need to come to a place in our lives where we do mourn, where we can shed a tear. And I have mentioned that before years ago when a minister asked when China was having its uh, starvation. And, have you ever shed a tear for China? You think, have you ever shed a tear for any injustice or oppression or evil? And you just, uh, all you have to do is read the newspaper daily, and sometimes we get hardened and inured to all of the evils that go around the world. Oh, yes, there's another crime, another shooting, another oppression by another dictator. But Jeremiah 9, get to it here, Jeremiah 9 and verse 1. They're all ahead of me here. Oh, that my head were waters. Now, Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentations. When Judah and Jerusalem was destroyed, he just... You can read through that whole book of Lamentations, and he's describing the destruction, the killings of uh, all the young princes and mothers with babies who were unable to feed because of the uh, starvation and without any food. And so here he expresses uh, sadness. Jeremiah 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, and God has called us to be valiant for the truth on the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Eternal. Those of you who are subscribing to our commentaries or, I hope, read the commentaries on our website regularly, uh, some of you may have read Mr. Brian Pommector's commentary, My Eyes a Fountain. And... uh, He writes, he's a minister in Omaha, Nebraska, by the way. Uh, Mr. Pomikter writes, Sitting on my deck this morning, I was looking over the headlines in the Daily Paper. Subjects range from unemployment, parental choice of their children's schools, Brussels attempting to deal with Europe's spending crisis, and the aftermath of the tragic shootings in Aurora, Colorado. And he continues to write more, and I'll get to more of the conclusion of his article. As I thought about current events and the prospects for the near future, an overwhelming sadness descended. My eyes filled with tears, and my shoulders began to shake uncontrollably as I sobbed. Surprised by the unexpected emotion, I recalled God's word expressed by the prophet Jeremiah, "'Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears!' That I might might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers. That I might leave my people and go from them. As we just read. He continues on with verse 5. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. And then verse 9. Shall I not punish them for these things? Says the Eternal. Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? But verse one. Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears! Again, some of us may be able to shed a tear once in a while. I know that uh, one lady that I had visited might turn in the meantime here to Second uh, Corinthians, the first chapter. Many years ago, and she was uh, a woman who was rather a strong personality and basically bossed her husband. And uh, she was dying of cancer, and I had visited her several times, and uh, quite a few of the ladies of the church. We had, I think, about 30 women that came over and helped uh, assist in that particular case. And I knew I had to say something to her, and I I said, Mrs. Jones, her name wasn't Mrs. Jones. I know that you know you're going through pain here, and yet you've not shed a particular shed a tear. Is there? I think you really need to pray about the possibility of your expressing more emotion. You know, with the the trial that you're going through at the present time. And uh, she would be the type of person that said uh, to her husband, "You belong to me," and uh, I think, of course, of the Song of Solomon, <clears throat> two cases where the shepherd says to the Shulamite woman, or she says to him, um, you, how is it, uh, you belong to me and I belong to you. And then later on at the end of Song of Solomon, it reverses <clears throat> that order. And she says, I belong to you and you belong to me. You read through the Song of Solomon. can be typified as the church and Christ in parts of it. But anyway, Mrs. Jones uh, died just before she died. The lady said that she had tears in her eyes and that she called her husband over to her and instead of saying, you belong to me, she asked him to seat her up and put her arms, his arms around her so she was in a sitting position, looked him in the face, and said, I belong to you. A remarkable change. And then she, I don't know, she died the, that night or the next day. But even in her dying days, God helped her to mature in a different dimension emotionally. And some are that way. Some are just uh, stoic. Uh, the Stoics, of course, were a Greek philosophy group that took pride in not showing emotion, in uh, either positive or uh, negative. But we need to be able to shed tears here in Second Corinthians 1, <clears throat> verse 3. Blessed be the Father of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. So we need to be comforters, comforters of others. <clears throat> I was talking with uh, Mrs. Pyle the other day, and of course, uh, Mr. Pyle had his brother's visit and other family. And Mrs. Pyle, she said, I'm comforted by my sister, Jean, who is here to help do the cooking, and uh, with all the guests that she had in the house. So one way of comforting in that case is by actually helping in a time of trial, and a time of test and stress and, and pressure. So we need to be willing to comfort others whatever way we can and still have the kind of compassion that Jesus had. He felt what others were feeling. And we can feel what others have felt because we ourselves have gone through particular pain, particular trials in the past, and uh, we can be comforters. I'll just mention that uh, Job's friend didn't comfort him. He said in Job 16, verse 1, you don't need to turn there, but then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. So Job's friends were not very comforting to him at all. Shall words of wind have an end, or what provokes you that you answer? So when was the last time that you shed a tear? Let's turn to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. You know Christ's example. He was human. He was tempted in all points, just like we are, just without sin. Hebrews 5, he's our great high priest, and he knows the emotions we feel. He knows the temptations we experience. Verse 6, Hebrews 5, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, verse 7, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Vehement cries and tears. And I was touched by reading Mr. Brian Pomactor's commentary that he just all of a sudden began to shed tears after reading all of the crimes and evils and violences in our nation and what The future is going to hold in punishment for our nation. He was able to identify with that. And we have to cry out. And if we have hardened hearts, if we are unable to express or to shed a tear, we need to ask God to help us to have that compassion, to be able to grow and express sadness, compassion, to shed tears. with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. We need our godly character to monitor, to educate, to train, and to develop godly emotions. Music affects our emotions. And I was just singing this morning, I would think came to mind here, about... Uh, some of the golden oldies, well, actually, there aren't golden oldies, I guess, but uh, is it Oklahoma? Oh, what a beautiful... Well, I better not sing it. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. Or everything, I change it to everything's going God's way. When I sing that song, when you sing a song like that, it gives you positive emotions. And then there was the song, uh, I think that, was that in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or whatever... Whistle while you work. Oh, whistle while you work. Oh, whistle while you work. It gives you a little more positive emotions, so music can be a real benefit to you. So it tells us in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing. Which we've been doing. And I hope that you rejoice in our congregational singing. We had a situation here recently where uh, ministers and their wives were dealing with uh, a demon situation. And one of the things they found out was that the demon did not like their singing hymns. That that really uh, wanted, they just wanted to get away from from uh, hearing hymn uh, singing. So it's just interesting. But speaking to another one in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How else can we grow spiritually as well as singing hymns and spiritual songs and melody in our heart? Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So music can be a a major element in helping us to have balanced and mature emotions we pray also that God will make his face to shine upon us and he's given us the power of a smile this was from uh, poems that touch the heart by A.L. Alexander the editor and this is from an unknown author a smile a smile costs nothing but gives much It takes but a moment, but the memory of it usually lasts forever. None are so rich that can get along without it, and none are so poor but that can be made rich by it. It enriches those who receive without making poor those who give. It creates sunshine in the home, fosters goodwill in business, and is the best antidote for trouble, and yet it cannot be begged, borrowed, or stolen. For it is of no value unless it is freely given away. Some people are too busy to give you a smile. Give them one of yours. For the good Lord knows that no one needs a smile so badly as he or she who has no more smiles left to give. So a smile radiates part of God's character and love and kindness towards others. We, in our speech classes years ago, had one student, and I was trying to get him to smile. So we need to learn to smile. Well, he he didn't make any effort to smile. He said, well, I'm, I'm smiling on the inside. Well, let us see how you can smile on the outside. We have to learn certain behaviors. And if you have to practice smiling, that's fine. This is, uh, again, from uh, Dr. Ilchi Lee, O-M-D, and um, The Power of a Smile. Smiling is one of the best brain exercises. Smiling and laughing, he writes, will have oxygen rushing to your brain in no time. Smiling and laughing are the essence of brain respiration, an educational method that optimizes the brain's functions through integrated exercises for the body and mind. Now listen to this. Five minutes of smiling is better than five hours of working out. Yes. <laughs> Ten seconds of smiling is the same as rowing a boat for three minutes. So there's quite a bit of benefit in smiling. And we ask God to smile upon us and to make us happy. Well, brethren, God has given us the sole range of human emotions. A time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to live, a time to die. Christ is our example. He he experienced all emotions, and He expressed those emotions with godly character for the benefit of others. So don't be deceived by a false concept of giving in to wrong feelings and emotions to be true to your wrong feelings. You have to repent of your wrong feelings and monitor your emotions with the mind of God. We have to analyze our feelings and emotions, compare them to the Bible, compare them to God's Word, And then with God's help, we can conquer wrong feelings, wrong attitudes, and replace them with godly character and willpower. Sincerely, trying to learn a new skill is not hypocrisy. It's responding to God's instructions. Let me turn to one more in uh, Revelation, the third chapter, it comes to mind. Revelation 3. Trying to express love towards your neighbor with a smile is not hypocrisy. It's responding to God's way of life, and God will multiply our feeble efforts. Remember, David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, "'Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me.'" So what will you choose? To be true to your human nature and give in to wrong emotions and feelings or be true to God? Will you choose to be loyal to your human nature and wrong feelings or be sincerely loyal to God and develop godly feelings. Remember the Apostle Paul's attitude when he was in prison. He wrote to the Philippians in chains. And we will, we have that same kind of attitude in spite of our trials and our tests. We have to learn to rule our nature, not give in to it. We have to do our part to develop love, compassion, joy, righteousness, and even righteous indignation. As he tells us in Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way do I hate. And he says he's going to protect those that sigh and cry for the abominations that are committed in Ezekiel 9 and verse 4. And he tells the Laodiceans here in Revelation, the third chapter, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten Therefore, be zealous and repent. You will not be excused by saying, I don't feel like it. God will give you the zeal if you pray to Him. So thank God, brethren, that He can give us godly emotions. So let's mature, let's radiate as ambassadors for Christ and as those, His children, to radiate in our lives godly emotions. And to show love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we do that, we will reflect the very nature and maturity of Jesus Christ.